was 18 months. So think of it as a year and a oh half. And that was from the initial negotiation phases and then into the actual where the transaction occurs. And then, of course, you're not always fortunate to get all the payouts right at once. You know what I mean? You have to get through the wake of everything. Uh, a lot of other dominoes have to fall before the what I call the final payouts, the final vesting of any potential shares, so on and so forth. From MJ Bulls Media, it's the Raising Cannabis Capital Show. Today at Raising Cannabis Capital, we are joined by Derek Porter, whose resume is so long and so impressive that I don't even know where to start. So I'm just going to introduce him as a serial cannabis entrepreneur. Derek, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dan. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm humbled. <laughs> it's going to be a fun show because normally we talk about raising money, but today we're going to talk about cashing out. And Derek's the perfect guy to lead this discussion because he successfully exited not one, but two cannabis companies. I, I don't know if there's another person that can make that claim, Derek. Let's jump right into it. There's a lot of emotion sure. that's tied to selling your business. It's your mm -hmm. baby. And there's it's just so much emotion tied to it. Why is it so important to be 100% certain that you're ready? That is an excellent question. So 100% certain that you're ready. When I say that, I, I definitely mean the emphasis on, is it the right move? You've created something from scratch, or maybe you've joined a team and it's kicking off from scratch and you breathe life into it. It's your baby. It's your venture. It's your launch pad. And the time will come, perhaps the time will come, whether you hunt it down or, or it hunts you down, where you receive an offer or sometimes multiple offers and you have to make a decision. And sometimes, so it's very fortunate for me, my first one is a huge life-changing decision, whether or not to make that move. For example, with my first security company in cannabis, we had to be certain, and to that emphasis, we were very fortunate to receive three offers over the course of a couple of years, and we almost took the second offer. It was a good offer, don't get me wrong. There were a handful of reasons why we ended up bowing out, which yeah. I've actually explained in some other interviews, but I'm so grateful to this day that we waited for round three to come around because it was immensely lucrative, like I said, life-changing. So I'm glad that we waited to be 100% certain to where we were giddy about it. We were jumping up and down. It made good business, logical, strategic sense, and it felt right internally as well. Yeah, that's a great advice. That's just great advice because there's so many demons that come creeping in during, during the process. Yeah. I, like all, all these weird things that happen. And one of them that's always caught me off guard is how everyone around me, there's sort of this resistance. Mm -hmm. And it's like my family, my friends, my employees, it seems like everyone's pushing back on me. I don't know if you've experienced this phenomenon, how you dealt with it. Yes, indeed. And Really, the resistance oftentimes is internal within the company. It's interesting you bring that up. The moment that a potential merge or potential acquisition hits the radio waves, hits that rumor mill, 
You can have, whether it's other partners, employees, potential clients. Now, suddenly the waters start to get choppy because there's uncertainty and it's a normal fear of the unknown. Now, you just, no one else is certain and they're not making those decisions. You as the owner slash executive slash partner, you're the ones making those decisions. You're driving the bus. And when suddenly there's an unexpected turn that's made, the passengers start to wonder where are we headed? Where, where are we going to end up? So it's important. I, I saw it right from the get-go and we talked it out My with my first purchase with our buyer. We talked it out very carefully and we decided to literally, we, we did post-transaction, we made no internal or external moves, especially by way of the public for 90 days. And we educated our, our stakeholders, we educated our clients very softly, very de- delicately. And even more importantly, we educated our current employees. Here is what is going to happen and here is why it's a good thing. These are all the benefits that are going to come into play. We're strength in numbers with this. Mm-hmm. So we were able to fortunately calm those waters. It still did get a little bit choppy here and there, but we were able to calm things down and avoid that resistance to change to where people were actually looking forward to that change. You were lucky that the company that you were making a deal with seemed to be really professional and work with you. And it just makes such a big difference. And I think that's another thing that sometimes I know price is always the driver in a sale, Mm -hmm. but you can't underestimate how important it is to have the right buyer and to vet the buyer and vet the investors because a lot can go wrong, even though they have the money, doesn't mean... Oh, 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 certainly. The money is a very powerful factor. That's usually the ultimate motivating factor as to whether or not you're going to transact. And sometimes it's money to include shares. And I just call them the deal points. You can never, at least in my experience, you can never just fully take your hands off the wheel. You have yeah. to stick around as a quote unquote consultant for perhaps a year, sometimes two years. And you have to get the the choppy waters on the other side of the fence. Maybe with the purchasing entity, you have to help calm those waters and basically just make sure that there's a good seamless integration that occurs there. But yeah, absolutely. It's the deal points. It's the potential layoffs that may occur. It's the possibility of other partners that down the road after they, they cash out and, and, and everybody's happy, guess what? Now the purchasing entity doesn't want you to come along with them long term. So it's a lot yeah. of other factors. You can go backwards sometimes with what I call relationship capital. And you want to be able to maintain that. You want to do it right. You don't just want to do it correct from an ethical standpoint. You want to do it right morally. So it still feels good and everyone's happy. You can maintain relationships down the road. Yeah, I think that's so important. You get the wrong buyer. And even though, like I said, their money's green, it could just Mm -hmm. make your life a nightmare. And not just after the closing, but during the closing. I know one of the things that it always takes longer than you think it's going to take. And if you have the wrong buyer, that just adds sort of insult to injury because it's way longer. How did you survive longer than expected closings? Oh, goodness. So that's actually a great point. So from 
the start and, and let me seed this to you initially. I, I am the guy with the least amount of patience. <laughs> I get a hard time from business partners. I get a hard time from my wife and my two-year-old daughter because I want everything to happen yesterday and, and even more so in business. It's just a part of my personality. That's a part of my business acumen, but it can have those negative traits. For example, again, back to my first transaction, it was 18 months. So think of it as a year and a oh half. And that was from, yeah, yeah. That was from the initial negotiation phases and then into the actual where the transaction occurs. And then of course, you're not always fortunate to get all the payouts right at once. You know what I mean? You have to get through the wake of everything. Uh, a lot of other dominoes have to fall before the what I call the final payouts, the final vesting of any potential shares, so on and so forth. So it was a year and a half. And don't get me wrong, when the first checks were cashed, time seemed to move a lot faster and we definitely breathed a little easier. But that doesn't mean that they're, especially the negotiating phase, and especially if you have multiple partners with my first venture, it was a total of six of us. So I had five other partners and we had one in particular that just wasn't nuts about various terms and so forth. So it made for longer and, and sometimes more cumbersome negotiations, but we got through it. And I realized at the end of the day, these are huge multi-million dollar decisions on both ends. And, and it has to be right. Everybody has to be comfortable. And then, of course, with all, all the way down to the nitty gritty of your accountants and your lawyers, making sure that everything is pressed and pristine and ready to go from a paperwork standpoint, make sure the books look good. So, yeah, just I guess the underlying point here is, yes, patience, relax, <laughs> be patient. Don't let it get you high strung. Don't let your cortisol levels crank up through the roof. It's it's just unnecessary. I think a lot of times it's because we put a date on it. We're like, okay, this thing's going to close in three months. But once the deal starts, it takes a life of its own. And a lot yeah. of this stuff just takes time. And the ability to exercise, I learned this now after the second transaction, the ability to exercise that patience is a skill set and would ultimately be a testament to your ability for future transactions to your buyer. And even if you have to, if you're fortunate enough to be, let's say, an advisor for other transactions and there's something lucrative for you there, having that skill set, there's tradecraft involved there and being able to convey it and be that Sherpa of the mountain for other people and just make them realize like it's going to be okay. Stay calm. These things take time. You mentioned that you build up this instinctive, I don't know if you want to call it a skill. By going through it, you have the experience, which makes you better for the next deal. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times people are like one and done, but really now you're in position that you'd be better the next time you make the deal. So what kind of advice would you give people that are preparing to exit a deal? What should they be thinking about post-closing? Definitely the next phase, the next steps. And, and I would set some goals or some benchmarks for yourself personally. What are you going to do when this phase of the deal is completed, phase two, three, four, so on and so forth. And are you going to take the vacation? Are you going to take the break? Are you going to go on a spending hiatus? Are you going to buy those new toys? When do you stop? When do you re-engage with, with other entities, with new networking opportunities? When are you allowed 
to do anything new. You, you may have all sorts of different uh, binding contracts or bits of different clauses within your, your contract that just lock you down, your non-competes and, and a variety of other variables that are there that kind of handicap you for a little bit and force you to keep your car in park until the light turns green. At the end of every race, there's a finish line. What do you do now when you cross that finish line? Are you going to prepare for the next race? If so, when will that training for the next race begin? And how long of a break are you going to take? How long of a break do you need to take mentally? How many other ducks do you want to get in a row for the next venture? And when will you be able to move forward? When does that non-compete expire? And even post-expiration of a non-compete, I would say this even more so, make sure whatever you do could either be helpful to the previous purchasing entity that just bought you out or is in correlation and in connection with them. They could still be a resource for a round two or maybe even the purchasing entity for a round two of the next venture. You never know. So in other words, have a plan and develop a plan. That's a really good point about the purchasing entity is that there may be a second bite at the Apple. I think the the mental aspect of the post-sale or post-closing is way underestimated. People are just usually have a lot of unexpected challenges after a deal closes that they didn't think they'd have because now they have a pile of money, but everything's not as perfect as they thought it was going to be. Derek, we have so much more that we could talk about, but we're running out of time today. I'm going to keep all of Derek's links in the show notes. So if somebody wants to talk to him more about exit strategies or just his experience, I'm sure Derek would be happy to continue this call offline and we'll have you back on again in the future. Maybe you'll have me back on again to talk about, yeah, the next big play here, the incubator investor model with my new primary focus with gateway proven strategies. So yeah, absolutely. I hope so. Yeah, for sure. We definitely have you back on to talk about gateway proven strategies and I'd love to have you back on to, to talk more about that. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so very much, Dan. I'm, I'm truly honored and it's been a pleasure. I, I was so looking forward to this conversation. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Cannabis Health Radio is a podcast about stories from people around the world who have used cannabis to deal with serious ailments, many of them life-threatening. My name is Ian Jessup. My co-host, Corey Yelland, is no stranger to the devastating emotional impact faced by so many people receiving a death sentence diagnosis from a doctor. Told she only had months to live with anal canal cancer, Corey researched and immediately began using cannabis oil to eliminate her cancer and has been cancer-free for more than a decade. She told herself that if it worked, she would spend the rest of her life helping others, which she does tirelessly every day. When you listen to our podcast, you'll hear many stories like Corey's, along with others who have used cannabis oil for many more ailments besides cancer, such as chronic pain, PTSD, MS, and many, many more. As one of our guests said, your podcast gave me the confidence to save my own life. We regularly get messages from listeners who have heard our podcast and use cannabis to solve a serious health issue of their own or that of a loved one. We hope you listen to these stories. 
and be as inspired and moved as we are with each and every episode.